for me, I think everybody should care about, you know, the ecological impact. It's not just about you, right? Like that's the thing about sustainability. It's the thing about caring about products in 2022 is it's not just about you. Hey guys, I'm Izzy Sapien, a seasoned brand builder in the most elusive and mysterious industry on earth, the glamorous beauty industry. And I'm on a mission to make beauty a better place, starting with this podcast. I've worked in the marketing departments of several major beauty brands and helped build a number of emerging brands from zero to millions. Each week, I'll break down the details of some of beauty's most notorious and untold scandals of today, along with my own personal experiences. But most importantly, my whole reason for doing this podcast is to highlight the beauty and wellness brands, influencers, and trailblazers who are doing it right and deserve a piece of the spotlight. Not to be mistaken for a cancel culture reboot, this well-intentioned tell-all aims to create a space for growth in beauty. I hope you'll join me every week for honest and stripped-down conversations. After all, it's growth that's a thing of beauty. Hey guys, welcome back to A Thing of Beauty. I'm your host, Izzy Sapien. Please follow me on Instagram at Izzy Sapien. I shouldn't have said please. I feel like that makes me sound really desperate. Follow me if you want to. I do a lot of product reviews. We also pull some quotes from the episodes from some of the guests and I do a lot of makeup looks. You know, I have a big history in makeup and beauty marketing. So we talk about that all the time. It has been a crazy month in beauty. It's been a crazy month in the world. You know what? It really has been. You know, again, I know I've said it a couple of weeks now, but our thoughts are with the people of Ukraine as they go through this horrible nightmare. It is some Tuesday in March. I am on vacation with my family, which is great. You know, my son and I have never been on vacation before. He's a year old. So this is exciting for us. This is pre-recorded, So, you know, if I make it through, <laughs> pray for me. <laughs> I love doing trending news here at A Thing of Beauty. I think my biggest thing that's so tough for me is when we get news like this, this first story is just, it's hard to talk about. I mean, like, The BIPOC community has been through so much in general, but also so much in the beauty industry. And they've worked so hard for change that when stuff like this happens, it's just a real bummer. It's a real bummer after all the work that I think collectively we've been trying to do. I'm not just talking about the BIPOC community. I'm talking about brands in general, all of us together to try to move this industry out of this archaic freaking dinosaur old world BS. I mean, that's just how I feel. I mean, it's BS. But, you know, John Dempsey, executive group president at Estee Lauder Companies was fired last week. This is huge. I mean, this is a 30-year industry veteran at one of the largest makeup conglomerates. He was behind the branding and direction for a lot of brands you've definitely heard of, like Clinique, Bobby Brown, Lalabo, Smashbox. And he credits his genius and some other people credit his genius to a lot of the work at Mac, taking Mac from an independent brand and building it into this huge, amazing corporation that also has such a amazing cause. I mean, and he considers himself having a large hand in making the AIDS fund a pivotal piece of Mac branding. The story was first reported by the Wall Street Journal. It was all over Instagram. I think before it got to the Wall Street Journal, I saw it on Estee Laundry. They reposted it when the post went live, but he posted this incredibly racist Instagram post. I did see it. I don't want to talk about what it says. I just don't think it's funny. I think you take out 
the horrible use of the N-word. You take out the weird Sesame Street, you know, thing. You take out the chingy rapper. That's the rapper's name. And he's like, it was a joke meme about one of his concerts by a meme person. (laughs) Do we call him meme people, meme maker? And the post was supposed to be mocking COVID-19. And Dempsey deleted the post, you know, because it immediately got some backlash. And then later wrote this apology out that let's just call it what it is, sucked. The apology said that he's terribly sorry and deeply ashamed and that he, quote, didn't read it before posting. I just don't believe it. I mean, I don't think anybody does. Like, this isn't just me saying, I just don't believe this one. Nobody believes that. Okay, this is like the worst apology in the history of apologies. And the meme itself, you know, you take out the racist part, you take out like the weird Sesame Street part, like it's just weird. It's also not funny. Like if you exchange that word for something else, it's just not a funny meme. So I don't know. I just don't get where he was going with that. I think you can see a lot of the industry and a lot of the problems that have been percolating for a while when you look at the reaction on something like LinkedIn versus Twitter. Estee Laundry reposted this Twitter feed, I mean, the LinkedIn post where a lot of the colleagues, other old timers in the industry were kind of like, I wouldn't say rallying their support behind it, but definitely empathetic to his struggle. They were like, cancel culture's whack. Like you can't say anything in 2022. I don't know, 100% the wrong approach to this type of situation. And it's been classic. I mean, I think that's what's been going on inside these companies for a long time. In one hand, now that you publicly see it, I think consumers have a lot more opportunity to make choices about brands they shop and and call for change. But at the same time, like if people are willing to like stand by his side in a freaking LinkedIn post, like it just proves like racism is alive and well, and it's definitely alive and well in beauty. And people will just, they'll stand up for their own. And I don't think that's a positive trait. It's okay to not stand beside someone who does something bad. It's okay not to like, I'm not a huge cancel culture lover, as I've talked about before. But like, I think it's okay to be like, dude, no, that was bad. That was really, really bad. But the reactions on Twitter, something I love about social media in 2022 is those is terrible and it sucks that people have to endure racism in the public stage still in 2022. People had some hilarious ways to clap back at the veteran beauty exec on Twitter. Some of the reposts and everything are just hysterical. There was this guy who wrote, imagine making $10 million a year and all you have to do is not post stupid shit online and you can't meet that performance metric. I mean, and it's true. He was obviously at this coasting point in his career and you can't just like use that time that you're sitting in your office instead of reposting offensive means to like do some internal work. Like, how about that, bro? Other than that, I mean, I think people asked a lot of really good questions. They were like, why is someone even being paid this amount of money? I mean, there's like, you know, tons of turmoil in the world. What the heck is this? And it comes back to, you know, the conversation that we have here a lot. And I think a lot of people in beauty are having now, which is amazing, is like, there are some bad apples. There just are. Okay, beauty is just like fashion. It's an older kind of archaic built on these European beauty standards that a lot of that don't leave room for a lot of diversity. And they sometimes attract just like bad apples. Like that's it. He does have a pretty big Instagram following. I followed him, you know, for years in my career because he's done a lot in the industry. I mean, he's accomplished a lot and it sucks that 
I think for people who have this feeling of like, dang, he did a lot for beauty, but he's obviously a bad dude. You don't know how to reconcile that. I mean, there's cognitive dissonance for sure within the community. And I think it's great to see everybody being like, nah, let's just not support this guy anymore. Let's leave him behind, leave him in the dust. I think that's good and make some room for some new blood. I truly feel like that's the solution there. But I guess the question I'm asking you guys today, and I want to know is he's obviously been a part of the bad early and often beauty stories. More things have come out that he like throws tantrums in meetings and he really is not a fan of diversity in all sorts of ways, not just like skin color and just general icky old white guy stuff. But it's never just one bad apple, right? And so social media has kind of already proved that. But my question is, why aren't more consumers like not buying this stuff? talking about it more. Like in the industry, we obviously talk about it quite a bit. I don't hear consumers talking about it and I don't really know why. All right, up next, we got L'Oreal's latest lawsuit. According to Reuters, a new U.S. lawsuit was filed a couple of weeks ago, which accuses L'Oreal of causing American shoppers to overpay for its beauty products by misleading them into thinking they're actually made in France. This is so hysterical to me. I would never laugh at someone who's been through like pain or something like that. This doesn't sound like one of those kind of lawsuits to me. This sounds like a little bit reaching, but I think it's interesting. I mean, the lawsuit basically cites that using the French word implies to consumers that the brand is French. And I'm like the biggest one who's like, eh, big beauty, like, you know, take them for everything they got kind of person. And I don't know about this. I just like, you know, I don't roll up to 7-Eleven thinking my croissant is flown in from Paris. I just think it's a reach. I don't know. I mean, I'm interested to hear what you guys think. But, you know, one of my favorite lines from the Yahoo report is, quote, companies are periodically sued over their product origins in American courts. It's just so funny because in the article, like Yahoo really says, welcome to America where you can sue over the dumbest shit ever. And it is so funny to me. And it's not the first time I actually looked into it. And it's true that this has happened before. And I don't think there's precedence to support it. I know very little about the legal landscape. Like I'm the last person you want to take legal advice from. But I do know that if there is precedence to support something, meaning a judge has ruled in one way or another on a very similar case, it's a lot easier for you to win the case. And it looks like when this happened to Anheuser-Busch over a beer that they made it seem like it was like a beer made somewhere else, but it was really made in the U.S. They settled out of court, so it doesn't have any precedence behind it. In the case, it goes on to say, you know, millions of American consumers are overpaying for L'Oreal Paris products that are not what they claim to be. According to the complaint filed in the Manhattan Federal Court, the fine print does not stop reasonable consumers from being misled. And so that's the thing. You know, in episode one, we talked a lot about the FTC. The Federal Trade Commission is there to help consumers and prevent poor business practices and ways that consumers can be misled. So, I mean, it's obviously important enough where like people are stepping in. I think it's, I'm pretty sure it says on the box, like made in America or, and it's somewhere manufactured, like not even Paris adjacent. Not that I'm saying anywhere in America is Paris adjacent, but like, I'm pretty sure it's like Little Rock, Arkansas, I think is like the manufacturing facility. I don't know. Everyone do yourself a favor and just Google 
L'Oreal's current list of lawsuits, because there's kind of quite a few. If you Google just the past years, then you're really looking at a fat stack right there. But, you know, I'm sorry, this is mass produced beauty to me. Like, they're kind of always in some sort of negotiation or in some sort of lawsuit. You know, there's other ones that I think are more important on the table right now. I just think this is kind of crazy. I mean, I think it could redefine how people brand beauty products, because I think a lot of the branding is designed to convey a story, right? I mean, that's what branding is. We're presenting a story. So if your story is that we have ingredients sourced from France, or we get our baobab from whatever trees and the whatever, whatever, I think you by some way imply to people like that your product might be produced there, but Often it's not. And what I like about small beauty brands, what I like about independent beauty brands is like I've said many times, and I'll, you know, keep falling on this sword till the end of time. I think they take a lot of care in sourcing those and pulling the brand story from an origin to an experience. And something like this with L'Oreal Paris, I mean, even the name, like it's obviously rooted in just trying to be Parisian and like, that seems like because Paris is an epicenter of beauty and fashion, whatever, that that's like meaningful to regular people in America or I don't know, somewhere else. I don't know who else would like really want to be Parisian. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it definitely gives you a lot to think about in terms of branding. I think it'll um, change a lot of the ways new brands coming in think about their branding and their brand story. And I think it'll be interesting to see how it rules. I mean, if this keeps happening, what will be the rules? Like, will you not be able to use a geographic location unless you're actually associated with that location? I don't know. It's interesting. It's definitely an interesting story. I guess what we're asking here is how, though, can the consumers prove that's why they paid higher prices, right? Like, if that's what it's about, I paid more money because I thought this was made in Paris. Well, brand value comes from more than origins, right? And you're not paying for really ingredients most often with these brands. You're paying for the brand story, the brand value, even the people associated with the brand. Like that's what you're really paying for. So looking at other L'Oreal companies like Maybelline, I mean, that is meant to be a New York brand. That's kind of the vibe they exude and they have marketing to support that and design to support that. And another brand like from L'Oreal Garnier. I mean, I think the name is supposed to be French. I don't know. I don't know what a Garnier is, if it's supposed to be English or not, but both are manufactured by L'Oreal. And I think they've banked on that idea a lot as a company, maybe because it does come from like, we're talking about the old time conglomerates of beauty where American was this like, oh, down to earth cowboy lifestyle. And then like all the women with just a little bit of money, you know, in that middle-class area were like, oh, but we really want to be like Parisian women or something like that. I don't know. I mean, you know, the market only takes what the market takes. So I think there's always lessons to be learned on both sides, right? The brand and the consumer. The brand is, you're never just going to get away with shit to get away with shit. People find shit out now. And on the consumer side, it's like, look into stuff. I would love to see more people calling out stuff for being dishonest. But this brand is old. I mean, this is not new. L'Oreal Paris, I don't, I've got to look at how old this brand is, but it, it's got to be at least 20 years old. Jumping into another one, this is my favorite story of right now, just because it's so personally important to me. I mean, this is a cause, well, anti this cause I've stood behind for years. Am I willing to change my ways? I don't know. I'm, I'm no better than, <laughs> than the rest of the world <laughs> who can't seem to change. But sulfates are back. Beauty Independent, the company I work for, reported on this at 
I think the beginning of last year or the end of last year that we were going to see this trend coming back, sulfates in the ingredient list of beauty products. This is specifically hair care. And the CEO and co-founder of The Ordinary, Nicola Kilner, told Bustle that scalp care is often an overlooked step in managing and improving overall hair health. The message that The Ordinary Hair Care is trying to drive home is that Scalp requires the same as skincare needs. You need adequate cleansing, you need moisturization, and you need your hair functioning in this healthy manner. And she's saying a lot of the things that we put in skincare, right, to make skincare work and to make skincare last are chemicals. And we need these and we're not afraid to do this. I think it's just the beginning of what we're going to see in this anti-clean beauty moment. I mean, I don't know if we're at the beginning of it. I'd say we're maybe in like the bitter middle. But from a marketing standpoint, I mean, it's brilliant. You rally a group of people that have been hating on an idea for a long time. Like, we think you guys thinking sulfates is giving people cancer or whatever is stupid, which makes you guys stupid. And they had this groundbreaking marketing campaign on social media. I think the tagline was, everything is chemicals. And man, did the clean beauty, anti-clean beauty crowd really, both crowds actually, the clean beauty crowd and the anti-clean beauty crowd really just incite some good old anger in the comment section. I mean, it got really ugly. Giving a little background on what sulfates are and how they affect beauty products, specifically in this case, hair care. So sulfates are meant to cleanse hair, right? They strip it of its natural dirt and oils, which in some ways is good, right? That's how you get that clean, foamy feeling in your hair. And sulfates are often stronger and more effective than a lot of other cleansing agents. The main concerns about sulfates came out with a lot of the same clean beauty things with specifics to hair care. It was, is it cleansing your hair too much, right? Is it leaving your hair dry? Is it leaving it unhealthy? Are they carcinogenic? Do they make your scalp dry and prone to irritation and red? And I think those are all really interesting points. You know, it's a cause I've stood behind for a long time. I'm anti-sulfate and I have been for a while. That doesn't mean that I don't use products that have sulfates. It means I prefer not to, but I'm someone who has an incredibly sensitive microbiome to my skin. It does get really red. I wouldn't say that it's irritated, but that's a personal choice I make. The second reason that I don't use sulfates is the environmental reason. So I think that brings up point B of why this is such an important topic that people keep having the conversations about. What is the environmental impact of sulfates? So, you know, they contribute to the acidification of surface water and soil. You know, this can damage ecosystems, forests, plants. And because sulfates are lightly colored, they reflect energy from sunlight back into space. This means that sulfates have a cooling influence on climate change. And this is sourced from the California Air Resources Board. So it's credible information. I'm not the first person to cite this. People talk about it all the time. Even on that campaign I referenced, The Ordinary launched on Instagram, Everything is Chemicals. When they announced the hair care line launching, people were quick to say, hey, we get that, you know, that you think that when people say they don't use sulfates on them, it's stupid. But what about the environment? Like, we're not just saying it's about us and our health. We're saying it's about ecosystem health. And I think that's an important thing to bring up. You know, reporting from Birdie says that the negative campaigning against sulfates might not be warranted and they need to be used properly and in moderation. And we see this time and time again in clean beauty. It's that somebody takes an ingredient and they're using it in, quote, acceptable percentages 
unquote. <laughs> and that degree of that ingredient will not have a negative impact on the body. And then the other side comes back and they say, okay, but it's not one time, right? I use, I shampoo myself twice a week, three times a week, four times a week. You know, then I'm using bleach on my toilet and then I'm using other chemicals on my face and I have my hair dye and I have my lash glue, you know, all those things. And it's very hard to keep seeing this conversation being had without a definitive answer from anybody. Scientists say this, doctors say this, then, you know, you get your run of the mill Instagram ingredient looker saying this, and it's very hard for people to tell at this point what they should do. And I think it goes back to how the ordinary got so famous. You know, the original thing that they did is they capitalized the idea that a few ingredients, because they do a lot of single ingredient, multi-ingredient, a minimalist skincare. It's not that we're saying it's better for you or it's easier. It's that you spent so much time trying to figure out all the ingredients in products X, Y, Z. Okay, well, this is easy to figure out. It's got three things and essentially made them famous. The marketing idea is genius itself. I think a lot of people consider the brand cult status. I just personally feel this kind of targeted like hate campaigning where we're saying like, oh, look at all the people who hate this ingredient and you're stupid. And now everybody who isn't as stupid as that buy our stuff. I just don't think it's effective long-term strategy for a brand. I don't think it's positive. It's definitely not positive. But people who troll for a living, they're going to troll hard if and or when this goes south. Like I'm saying, like doctors will say this and then influencers will say this and brands will say this. I think what's really, really going to show us where this goes and when we're going to get answers on if this type of marketing is really going to work, the anti-clean movement is when things start coming out with testimonials, right? Because the product obviously like, it's not really readily available yet. So it's hard to tell what people are feeling, but allergic reactions are incredibly common when dealing with products that you put on the skin. This is not like the fashion industry. Like I never bought a pair of Jimmy Choo's and had a foot reaction. You know what I'm saying? So like when people have these type of allergic reactions, first it snowballs, right? Because they're going to post photos. They're going to tag people. They're going to tag the brand. Everybody's going to jump on and it spreads really fast. And irritation, redness, over drying are common ailments of the scalp. So it would be really hard for the brand or even the consumer to say it was this product, but enough association with something like that could be really detrimental for a brand who's going hard on the well, we believe sulfates are totally safe and they're not going to hurt anyone. And just my point, I don't think I personally care for myself. Like anybody can use sulfates. Anybody can use toxic chemicals. I mean, like arsenic, I don't really care. I think when it comes to me, like personally, I have preferences that I want to use as a consumer. But for me, I think everybody should care about, you know, the ecological impact it's not just about you, right? Like that's the thing about sustainability. It's the thing about caring about products in 2022 is it's not just about you. And then lastly, when we're looking at the impact long-term, most of the studies of absorption are done on human beings or things that have human-like skin, right? Like obviously animal testing, they test a lot on bunnies, which is horrible, super sad. Like I can't even get into it because it bums me out so much. But they're not tested on fish and they're not tested on aquatic animals, right? These types of ecosystems don't really function like we do. They live in the water. So it's not like they absorb water all day. I'm not even getting into how it works because I don't really know. But I'm just saying, I hate when people definitively say, this can't be bad for fish. I'm like, based on all the fish you talk to, like that makes no sense to me. 
And I guess I'm asking the question today to the consumers, anyone listening, is why we're coming out with it. To me, an honest brand, an authentic brand, if you're saying, we don't think sulfates are bad for you, we don't think they suck as an ingredient, we think they're incredibly beneficial to a hair care routine, can't you just say, and you can buy XYZ that already exists. I mean, you can go to any CVS, any Safeway and find shampoos with sulfates and buy them. I just feel like this is a money machine, right? Like not only do we think you're the clean beauty movement and all that stuff is stupid, we're going to come out with our own thing that's going to be better than all the other things. And then you need to buy that. To me, that's like ugly consumerism. And it just shows the heart of a product is not really that genuine. And I don't really, I personally don't like that. I mean, uh, but I'd love to hear your guys' opinion. I think that's what we all want to know is what are consumers looking for? Because these brands keep coming out with more products, products that are very similar to products that already exist. So there's obviously a market for it. This has been a heated conversation today. I love and hate doing these. Like I said, I love to see consumers getting educated. I love to see people learning about products, learning about ingredients. We have an amazing episode next week. A dear friend of mine and really talented esthetician is coming on to talk about ingredients. And we even get into like the environmental impact of packaging and things and just in general, what ingredients could be really good for specific skin types, which I think anybody could listen to, even if they're not a lover of ingredients or a lover of skincare or someone who's really into sustainability right now. Thanks guys for listening. I hope you'll follow me on Instagram at Izzy Sapien. Go check out a thingbeautypodcast.com. You can listen to all our old episodes and new episodes come out every Tuesday. I hope everyone has a lovely March. I am in Miami with my family and I will be thinking of you all. 